First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. I heard a story about a man who was in a hurry, pulled up in front of his house, did something he shouldn't have done, left his keys in his car. On his key ring were his house keys and his car keys and several other keys. Thought he was going to be inside for just a moment or so. He was inside a little bit longer than he had planned on. When he came out, his car was gone. It had been stolen. And so he's in a little bit of a panic. He didn't know what to do and Finally, he took care of calling the police and that sort of thing. Goes to bed that night, gets up the next morning, and in his driveway is his car. It's washed, it's filled with gas, and there's a note in it which says, I'm sorry I took your car. I was in an emergency situation. I needed transportation. It was there, and I took it. I've returned it. I've filled it with gas. I've washed it. It's been taken care of. And as a matter of fact, because I inconvenienced you by taking your car, here are two tickets to the next Dallas Cowboys home football game. Well, this man and his wife had never been to a Cowboys football game, and so they decided to go, and they took the individual up on these tickets. They went to the game. When they came home, their house had been cleaned out. A very, very sneaky thief. The Word of God says Jesus is coming. It doesn't call him a thief, but it says he's coming as a thief in the night. Last week, we were reminded of the greatness and the glory of God and how God deserves our praise. He deserves us to shout, okay, his praise and his glory. The week before, we were warned that conditions are right for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that once again this morning. After reminding the Thessalonians, in fact, the fourth chapter, the first verse, reminds them of, as he says here in the end of that first verse, how you ought to walk and please God and abound, and so would abound more and more. After telling them about that, he warns them in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. And then in verse 12, he tells them, walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. And so he says, look, in your living, here's the way you ought to live. Don't defraud your brother, but don't defraud people who are outside of the church and who don't know Christ as Savior either. And then after verse 12, he begins speaking about what? In time events. For the Lord himself, 
he says down in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And I love this part because he says, Then we which are alive and remain. Folks, I believe the apostle Paul expected Jesus to come in his lifetime. And Paul knew he was saved, and he was looking forward to going and being with the Lord. Then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says what? Wherefore comfort one another with these words. The thought of the coming of Jesus Christ ought to be a comfort to the child of God. Amen. Now listen, I can tell you from personal experience that if you're not living for the Lord the way you ought to, the coming of Christ is not so much of a comfort. Amen. It may be a bit of dread. It may be a bit of fear. But it's certainly not the comfort that it ought to be. And if a person is not saved, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, though they may not think about it, could well be a bit of a great deal of fear to them. So we get to chapter 5, and the first 11 verses of chapter 5, he informs them and us of what I call the character of that day and what should be our conduct in these last days as we expect the Lord Jesus to come back. Based on what the Bible tells us, folks, I believe the Lord's return is near. I believe you do too, as I prayed just a moment ago. But then I wonder, I wonder if God's people really believe that Jesus could come soon. You know, it's one thing to speak sort of romantically about the coming of Christ. Oh, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us out of here and we're going to go to heaven and then he's going to come back and set up his millennial kingdom and you know, so forth and so on. And just sort of think romantically about that, but that something else entirely to want it to take place today and to be expecting it today. I may have used this illustration before, but at one point we lived way on the eastern side of Arkansas. Well, we'd come back for a visit, and, you know, I never, I, I sure hated to leave. Our bags would be packed, and our bags were in the car, and we were prepared to go, but never really ready to go. Do you understand that? And there's a lot of folks that are prepared for the Lord to come back. They're saved, but they're not ready. Either they don't want to go or they're not living like they're expecting him to come. And like I say, I, I just have this attitude, this thought that a lot of God's people are not really expecting the Lord to return because they don't act like it. And the evidence is found in, first of all, empty buildings. If you knew the Lord was coming back and was going to come back at what time is, I'm not even going to call this. See, that clock says 12.10, all right? It hadn't been changed yet, so don't worry if I go past 1 o'clock today. <laughs> and I could tell somebody I preached past 1 o'clock by that clock. But what if I told you Jesus was coming back, and we knew of a certainty Jesus was coming back at 11.30, and he was coming here. Would you want to be here? I think if you're a child of God, you ought to want to be here. And we have empty buildings and we have idle baptistries. We sang that song, I Love to Tell the Story, and then we followed it with, Lord, lead me to some soul today. Is that really our prayer? The Lord's churches are not bringing people to Christ today. Well, that's the preacher's job, right? No. 
It's the job of every child of God to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's evidenced by ignored Bibles. How many people, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many people regularly read their Bibles? The latest statistic I've heard is that very few in America read their Bibles every day or have some dealing with Scripture every day. Now, we can spend hours on Facebook. We can spend hours watching television. And the Word of God sits idly on the coffee table or just wherever we happen to put it. I put a picture on Facebook, on my personal Facebook one time. I went out and put my Bible over the back seat of the car. And then I took a picture of the car from the rear. I said, it's 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Do you know where your Bible is? Because that's where a lot of Bibles end up, right? And then it's evidenced by wasted lives, the lives of people who say they know Christ as Savior, but they don't live for the Lord. Now the first five verses of this fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians draws just an immediate contrast between those who know Christ as Savior and those who don't know Christ as Savior. Look at what it says. We who are saved are not of the night nor of darkness. And then it says, let us not sleep as do others. We're supposed to be awake. We're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to be looking for the Lord to return. This world is in darkness and this world is asleep. Amen. See, this all indicates that there's a great number of, and I put quotes around it, professed believers who are not really expecting the Lord Jesus to return. Let me give you two very quick examples. Number one, you're at work and your boss says, I'm going to be gone for a while. I need this job done. I want it done. By the time I get back, I'll be back at a certain time. And I, I expect it to be done by the time I get back. It's getting close to the time for him to be back. Are you going to get the job done? Are you going to just say, I'm not going to do what the boss asks. I'm going to just goof off and stand around and when he gets back the job won't be done. I'll give you another one. Speaking of bosses, your wife says, <laughs> okay, men, honey, I need to go shopping. In fact, it's that time of year, honey, I need to go Christmas shopping and I sure would like all of the lights put up by the time I got back home. I'll be home late, but I would like to have the lights up on the outside of the house. You going to put them up while she's gone or you going to wait till she gets back and say, well, I didn't do it. See, the idea is that when someone gives us a job to do and especially when someone gives us a timeline or a deadline, you know, I've always liked that term deadline. In everything we do, there's a deadline and if you don't get it done, it's just dead, isn't it? When we're given a deadline, we want to get things done by the deadline. Remember what Jesus said in one of the parables? He said, occupy till I come. Now the word occupy doesn't mean sit down and take up space. We think it does. But that's not what occupy means, not in the scripture. Here's what it means to be employed with labor, to be busy with an occupation. I know Jesus said in places that we are to wait on the Lord. And some people think that means sit down and do nothing. No. What does a waiter do? Now, I've had some waiters that I think sat down and did nothing, you know. One time we had a server. Her name was Patience. And she didn't come back to the table for a long time. And I said, I've lost my patience. <laughs> right? But 
you expect a waiter to be busy serving you, don't you? You expect a waiter or a server to be busy doing something. And that's what Jesus was saying. And he has clearly told us what our occupation is to be, hasn't he? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus has given us a work to do. The question is, are we doing it? Are we really occupying? I only have two points to this message this morning, and somebody will say amen after all these messages with five and six and seven points, right? But I only have two points to this message this morning, and the first one is this, the character of that day. The character of that day, because the Word of God tells us about the coming of the day of the Lord's return. Look at verse 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, where did Paul get his information about the coming of Christ? Well, he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know that. So that's one of the sources that we have. But look at Matthew chapter 24 and beginning in verse 42 at what Jesus said. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. If the man who left his keys in his car and got his car stolen had known that those tickets to a Cowboys football game were just to get him out of the house so his house could be robbed, he would not have gone to the football game. If someone calls you and says, I'm going to break into your house tonight. Are you going to leave your house or are you going to stay home? See? If thieves would just let people know, then people could be prepared for the thieves. But smart thieves don't call you in advance and let you know that they're coming. One police officer said, we don't catch the smart ones. And that's true. You know, the thieves that go off and leave their ID where they were busy stealing something or committing a crime like that, they're real easy to catch because you know who did it. And so thieves don't call ahead. Folks, God has given us in his word indications of the season of Christ's return. He's not going to tell us the day, but he's given us the indication of the seasons and we are in the season of Lord's return. Remember what Jesus said about the day of his return in Matthew 24, he compared it to the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah like? Well, first of all, men were getting more and more evil. We can read that in Genesis chapter 6. But Jesus said, here's what they were doing. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage. You know what that is? Life as usual. Just life as usual. Going about everyday life. Did God give warning of the coming of the flood? Well, yes. He told Noah, build an ark. And Noah, for 120 years, because the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness, and he preached for 120 years. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We assumed then that for 120 years, he preached judgment's coming, a flood's coming. God's bringing his judgment. And I can just imagine what the world around him was saying about him. Oh, crazy Noah. Hey, kids, see that man over there? That's old crazy Noah. Don't go near him. 
He's got all these wild stories about rain coming down or some water falling from the sky and about God sending a great flood and he's building a boat. This is how crazy he is. He's building a boat to get ready and so y'all just stay away from him. Don't listen to old crazy Noah. What's our world saying about us today when we expect and live in expectancy of the coming of Christ? Don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. They would compare. Remember the folks was it the Hale-Bopp folks out in California that all got Nike tennis shoes and then committed mass suicide? I think that's what they were called. You know what? We get classified with them sometimes. Remember many years ago, some folks in Granis, Arkansas quit paying the bills and all moved into a house because Jesus is coming back. We get classified with them. Folks, we live in expectancy of the Lord's return, but we live the way we ought to live as God's people. What did he say? Not defrauding anybody, not defrauding each other, not defrauding people outside who don't know Christ as Savior, but we live for the Lord, but we live expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. And the day of the Lord is going to be a universal, that's we obviously much worldwide, a universal event that's going to divide between the saved and the unsaved. Listen to what the book of Luke says. Jesus is speaking. Luke chapter 17, verse 34. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. You know what that says? There's going to be folks that are going to be taken out of here when Jesus returns and there's going to be folks that are going to be left. Amen. And the people that are going to be taken out are the people who know Christ as Savior. We sometimes sort of jokingly, I do, I don't know if anybody else does, sort of jokingly we show up on a Wednesday night or, or it's getting close to service time on a Sunday morning and there's few folks here and I sort of jokingly say, what happened? The rapture occurred and I wasn't a part of it. Well, I'm going to be a part of it so I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but folks, it's going to happen. Lanny Wolf wrote a song, One Day Too Late. I never thought I'd see the day when you'd come to kneel and pray. I never thought that I would see the church house Filled to capacity. And outside the door there's more than have ever come before. Oh, what a shame. They finally came one day too late. There'll be folks wanting to get in this building. I hope there's not going to be any of us here with a key to unlock it when the Lord returns, okay? <laughs> Sunday morning comes and folks show up and we're not here and the building's locked up and they say, what happened? Well, here's what happened. Jesus said when he comes, there's going to be some folks taken, there's going to be some folks left and Paul tells the Thessalonians and us that there's no further need for instruction on this. What does he say? But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I'm amazed about how much people want to try to figure out when Christ will come. Well, when do you think? Are, are we near it, preacher? Well, I can tell you we're near it. But see, there's various stages of near, right? But I believe we're near, near it, okay? We're sort of like what James said, the judge standeth at the door. I think we're that close. We're right at the door. Jesus is at the door. It's almost time for him to come. And if you look at the scripture, go back to the book of Acts, it appears that the Lord's disciples were just like us. They wanted to know when the Lord was coming back. Because you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know what they're basically saying? 
Lord, tell us about end time events. When's it going to happen? When's the kingdom coming back to Israel? Lord, we want to know about all of these things. You remember what Jesus said to them in verse 7? Listen, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know what he's saying? That's not for you to worry about right now. That's God's business. When's Jesus coming back? That's God's business. We're just told to be ready. I can tell you when Jesus is coming back when God says it's time. But that's all I can tell you. So we are to live ready. I said, I think the Apostle Paul believed that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. You know what he did? He lived ready. God used him in a great way. And so we are just to be ready. And then Jesus said, there's something else you need to be concerned about right now because in Acts 1.8, he said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, you can hold a symposium on end time events, folks, and people will fill the building. You get some named speakers, some known speakers, and say, we're going to have a conference on the end times, and people will come out of the woods to be a part of that. But you can announce, we're going to have a series of lessons on evangelism, on how to witness to people and see how few show up when you say that. I've done it both ways, folks. And I've had people show up for the end time things and not show up for the soul winning. Jesus is coming and folks better get right or they're going to get left. Amen. Then he gives us the conditions of it when they shall say peace and safety. What are people saying today? Peace. peace. We want world peace. We want peace in the Middle East. Israel just signed a ceasefire with Hamas. I guess they signed it. They said they were going to. They didn't sign a peace deal, right? That we know of, they signed a ceasefire. But people are saying peace. They want peace. They want peace in Ukraine. They want world peace. And it looks like people today are looking for a charismatic world leader who can bring peace, who can promise them peace and prosperity. We're Coming up on a political season next year, you know what politician will get elected? I don't even know which ones are going to run, but you know which one, I can almost guarantee you which ones will get elected? The ones that will promise prosperity. We live by the dollar, we die by the dollar in America today. So if some politician will promise prosperity, he's likely to get elected over the one that doesn't. And we're just setting the stage for the Antichrist to come. That's all we're doing, looking for things like that. Listen to Daniel 8.25. It describes him, and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Policy here talks about his intelligence, his success, his implication of his intelligence to gain his success. Not only is the Antichrist is going to be a very intelligent individual. He's not going to be any kind of dummy. He's going to be well educated and he is going to be desired because he will be pictured, he will be imagined, whether real or not, to be a very successful individual. Craft is from a word that also means to delude or betray. In other words, He's going to be intelligent, and he's going to be full of deceit. You know, said the police officer said, "We don't catch the smart criminals," but here's going to be one who's going to be smart, 
and is going to be deceitful and he is going to turn the hearts and the minds of people. We know that when we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 fully describes this man. Listen to what it says talking about him, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. He's going to be a miracle worker. He doesn't perform miracles by God's power. He's going to perform miracles by satanic power. Can Satan perform miracles? Certainly. Just go back and read what he did with Pharaoh's magicians in Egypt and various things. Satan is the second greatest power in the universe. He's the greatest power for evil in the universe. And he has great power, great ability, and everything, remember, we're being set up for this because everything today is what? It's a miracle. The miracle of birth. Birth's not a miracle. Birth is the way for God designed for human beings to come into this world. Amen. Somebody has a tragic accident and they survive it. It's a miracle. No, it was God allowing them to live. It was God working. So everything's a miracle today. And a miracle man is coming. And the world's going to be in awe of him. Look at what he can do. He's going to be, and this is from two weeks ago, by the way, he's going to be the consummate politician. He's going to be smart. He's going to be successful. He may be good looking, but he's going to be sinister. And all the world, again, will be in all of them. He comes on a platform of peace. What does the scripture say? And by peace he shall destroy many. You know what it does? He comes preaching peace on the one hand, and he comes preparing for war on the other hand. He's promising people what they want. He's promising people what they're looking for. Remember, he's a deceitful individual. He says, I'll give you peace, but he's making war, preparing for war. Just turn over to Revelation chapter 6 for just a moment. Revelation chapter 6, and look at verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, some people, some confused people say, well, that's Jesus. No, it's not. Amen. That is the Antichrist who comes pretending to be the Messiah. I cannot find the book that I read this in. I have it in my library somewhere. I've looked through books. You know, it's just one little phrase in a book. Have you ever tried to find one little phrase in about 30 or 40 or 50 books? And I can't find it anymore. But I did read this. I know I read it. I know I didn't dream it. But many, many years ago, one Israeli leader said this, we are willing to accept anyone as the Messiah who will promise us peace in our land. That's sort of scary, isn't it? Amen. Anybody that comes on the scene that will tell them, I'll give you peace and you can stay in your land, they said, we will accept him as the Messiah. But we look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. That's not Christ. Jesus comes in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. And here's why this is not Christ. This man comes with a crown in verse 2. You look at Revelation 19, Jesus comes with many crowns. It says upon his head were many crowns. This man has a bow in verse 2. What does Jesus come with? Revelation 19, 15. A sharp sword proceeds out of his mouth. There's a difference between the two. This man operates, Daniel 8, 25. This man operates in craft, but the scripture says in righteousness, Jesus doth judge and make war. And then the Antichrist, 
Daniel 8 again, by peace shall destroy many. But what does Jesus come to do? He comes to set up his millennial kingdom and bring a thousand years of real, true peace to this earth. So this is not in Revelation 6, verse 2. This is not Jesus. This is the Antichrist coming on the scene. And he comes as a man of war and all the time preaching peace. How quickly does this day that he's talking about come? Well, look at it. It's going to be swift. The scripture says sudden destruction cometh upon them. It's going to be sure. He says it's going to come as a woman in travail with child. You know, there's a point at which a woman knows this baby's fixing to be born. And when that time comes, it's a certainty. You can't stop it. And so it's going to be sure and it's going to be solemn because he says they'll not escape. They'll not escape. Our society lives with a party attitude, don't they? I mean, just look at how things are advertised. I'm amazed at so many ads, especially for alcoholic beverages. They don't show you the guy with vomit all and flies all over him laying out somewhere. They're all either together out in the woods or by a lake or on a lake or in a bar somewhere and everybody's singing and it's all joyous and happy and all of that. Folks, that's not the real picture. That's what Satan wants you to see of Satan. He wants you to see what he's really like. We have a party attitude filled with laughing and jesting and without giving thought to the spiritual condition of mankind. But one day the laughter is going to end. And verses 4 and 5 give us contrast of that day. Paul says believers and contrast believers and non-believers, we who are saved are not in darkness. Now darkness in the scripture talks about the absence of light. There's an absence of the light of God in our world today. In the United States, it still said the majority of the people in America believe in God. But some of the things they believe about God, folks, are so unscriptural. It's not funny. Some look at God as a kindly old grandfather figure. Just sort of bounces his grandchildren on his knee and laughs at the thing. You know how grandparents do. The things we spanked our children for. We laugh at it when our grandchildren do it. That's the way some people view God. Just laughing at our sin. God doesn't laugh at sin, folks. To prove that those who know Christ as Savior are children of the light, children of the day. Paul uses two illustrations. Verse 5, you're the children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. There's a difference between light and darkness. There's a difference between daytime and night. The things you do at night and the things that you do in the daytime are quite different. Light in the daytime describes Godliness, it describes righteousness. Listen to 1 John 1, 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's not a speck of darkness. There's not a speck of sin. Light pictures righteousness and God is all righteousness. God is all light. But sin or anyone in sin as described as in darkness or being in darkness. And it says day or daytime is the time for honorable activities. When do most people go to work? I pastored a man one time who worked shift work and I agree with him. He said shift work is of the devil. You know, making people work all night and that sort of thing. He said shift work is of the devil. And I tend to agree. Shift work keeps a lot of folks out of church sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, I pastored some of those folks who had to work all night and get off at 7 o'clock in the morning. They didn't make church Sunday morning. They went home and slept. And I understand that. 
But daytime's the time for work. The daytime's the time for honorable activities. When does most of your crime occur? In the night. Why does it occur in the night? Because it's under the cover of darkness. People can't see me. I'm so thankful for cameras now on houses. And ours has night vision. And you come up to our house and it tells me somebody's walking up. I'm going to pull a camera up right quick and see who's coming to my house at night. But daytime's the time for the honorable things. Nighttime is the time for dishonorable activities. And more evil takes place in the dark. And our understanding of the difference between light and dark is to have an effect on the way we conduct ourselves. I'm a child of light. You're a child of light. We're not children of darkness. We're the children of the day. And so in verses 6 through 11, what he does here is he talks about our conduct in that day. We're to be sleepless, first of all, in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Of course, sleep here is not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know, and going to bed. When he says, let us not sleep, he's talking about a spiritual condition. Should I say that most of God's people are in spiritual sleep today? Amen. Sometimes the word sleep in the Bible is used to refer to death. But here he's talking about just being, the example is being in a deep sleep physically. Have you ever been asleep in that deep a sleep? And you don't know what's going on around you. You have no idea. Folks, that's the way God's people are today. We hear the news and we think, oh, that's bad, but we don't know what it's telling us. And we ought to, by the word of God, know what it is telling us. One who's spiritually asleep just lives from day to day. It's just like any other day. Tomorrow will be like today. The next day will be like today. It's just all going to be the same. And we live without thinking of Christ's return. What did Jesus say? In an hour when they think not... The Son of Man cometh. And what he's saying is when people are not thinking about it, that's when he's going to return. And I would dare to say most who profess Christ as Savior do not get up in the morning whenever they get out of bed and think, well, this could be the day that Jesus returns. Folks, this could be the day. Amen. We might not meet at 6 o'clock tonight if the Lord returns. If you show up at 6 and there's nobody here, I hate to tell you, you missed it, okay? And I would hate for anybody to do that. But it also speaks of yielding to sin and being indifferent to one's salvation. Not being concerned about sin so that we live in a way that is inconsistent with the way a child of God ought to live. There's a certain way God's word tells us that we ought to live. We, we ought to conduct ourselves. We are not to be lulled to sleep by the world and everything that's in the world. What were those in Noah's day doing? They were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and they were giving in marriage, going about life as usual. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 24, verse 39? Listen to this. And you not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know what's going to happen? The world and some of God's people are just going to be living day to day. And those who are saved, we don't believe in, you know, I've heard some Baptist folks believe in what's called a split rapture. That if you're faithful, you'll go at the first of the tribulation. If you're unfaithful, you have to, we call, I call that Baptist purgatory, you know. And if you're unfaithful, you have to wait till the middle. No. Jesus said, wherever the eagles, and he refers to vultures, wherever the eagles are gathered, there will the carcass be. What do you know? When you see vultures circling, there's something dead down there. 
Now, he was not calling us a carcass, and he was not calling himself a carcass, and he was not calling us vultures or himself a vulture. He's just using an illustration that when Jesus comes, guess what? Everybody that knows Christ as Savior is going to be where he is. We're just we're going to be caught up together, living or dead, we're going to be caught up into his presence. But these in Noah's day, until the flood came, didn't know, didn't plan on, didn't think about the flood. December 26, 2004, a 9.0 earthquake six miles under the Indian Ocean produced a tsunami with waves moving at 600 miles per hour. People in Indonesia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and other countries were caught virtually unaware. It devastated the land and thousands were killed. Sudden destruction came upon them. In Noah's day, sudden destruction came upon them. Folks, in our day, Jesus is coming back and sudden destruction is coming upon folks. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Since we know what's going to happen, how should we be living? Well, he tells us in verses 11 and 12 in 2 Peter 3, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be looking for it and wanting it. Amen. Jesus taught in the model prayer where to pray, Thy kingdom come. Praying for the coming of the Lord. But we're also to be sober in that day. What does it mean to be sober? It means to be sober-minded, watchful, circumspect. It's in contrast to the weariness and the drowsiness of sleep or the inattention of one who is drunk. A person who's asleep or a person who's drunk doesn't really know what's going on around them. And it means keeping our minds free from those things that would draw us away from having that thought process that this is the day that Jesus could come back. This is the day that I live for the Lord. Romans chapter 13 verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore do what? Cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. And then he says in verse 14 this, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That's the way a child of God is supposed to live, especially in these last days. By the way, did Paul think it was in the last days? He did. Did our ancestors who were saved think they were in the last days? They did. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Battle Hymn of the Republic. We think that was written about the Civil War. That was written because of the Civil War. They thought it was time for the Lord to return. And that's what that is about. So yes, those folks then believed they were living in the end of the age. Because we're living in the last days and because the Lord's return is near, we just need to watch. We don't know when he's coming back. We need pure and faithful lives. Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, okay? Don't get shaken by what's going on in this world. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your trust in God. And it says, for he is faithful that promised. And let us, look at this, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. 
We're to encourage one another and we're to love one another, but we're to encourage each other to faithfully serve the Lord. And then, of course, Acts 1 8, we're also to be witnessing. One more thing, we're going to close. We're to be secure in it. He says, first of all, we need to be comforted. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Comfort is the word that is used, that is translated, that refers to the Holy Spirit. Parakletos, the idea is someone that is called near for a particular effect, comfort or encourage or, or whatever. We're to encourage one another and we are to be encouraged by what we know about the coming of Christ. We go back to verses 13 through 18 in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And how did we end that? How did he say that in verse 18? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. I love that too, by the way. He's not sending an angel for us. Jesus said, and if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. We ought to take comfort in that. And then verses 9 and 10 here in chapter 5, look at this. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. What's that saying? I know some folks who want to wait till the end of the tribulation to be raptured out of here. Well, what is the, the tribulation period? It's God's wrath. Especially the last three and a half years, God brings his wrath upon mankind for rejecting him, for rejecting Christ. And what does the word of God say? It says that we are not appointed to wrath. We're appointed to salvation. God's going to take us out of here before he brings his wrath up on this earth. We need to learn how to live in light of Christ's coming, but more important than that, we need to know we're nearing his return. And then we need to be built up. He says, edify one another. Edify means to, it, the idea is building up a dwelling. You pour the foundation, then what you do? You edify the building. You build it up. And that's what he's saying in Hebrews that we read a moment ago. We're to build each other up. We're to be built up. What is the foundation? Jesus Christ, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. The Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So the foundation is laid, and then we build up the building. How do we do that? You don't do it through emotionalism, and you don't do it through entertainment. Amen. You know why we got a lot of weak churches and weak believers today? Because we got some pastors that think entertainment and emotionalism, it'll get the crowd stirred up, but folks, pardon the grammar, it ain't building anybody up. Amen. It's the Word of God that builds people up. What's the instruction to faithful pastors? Preach the word. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Not play games. Not have a good time. Preach the word. You know what? Preaching the word ought to be a good time, shouldn't it? And hearing the word preached ought to be a good time. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Just be built up in Jesus. Be built up in the Lord by the word of God. And the things some churches and some pastors are doing today are going to leave some of their members on shaky ground when persecution and trouble come in their lives. We've had folks, members of this church, who have endured some very difficult situations and are going through them right now. But you know what? They're enduring them. And you know why? They're not trusting games and emotionalism. They're trusting the Lord. And you know why? I hope. Because the word of God is being preached here. Amen. Verse 8 presents another way for us to be secure. And we're almost done. Wear your armor. 
Just wear your armor. Does verse 8 sound like anything? Sounds like the 6th chapter of Ephesians a little bit, doesn't it? Let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. By the way, do you notice anything in that verse other than it looks like Ephesians 6? Breastplate of what? Faith and love. Helmet. What kind of helmet? Hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Now remaineth these three, faith, hope, and love. The Bible's wonderful if you just get into it and study it and pay attention to it. Now the breastplate is critical in defending the heart. You know what faith does? Faith helps us endure. Trusting God, believing on God helps us to endure as seeing him who is invisible. Without faith, we might be tempted to quit. We might be tempted to abandon the cause. And I think a lot of folks have because of little faith. But when we shield our hearts with faith and with love, we're willing to endure. Put on the breastplate of love and put on the breastplate of faith, trust, dependence. That'll secure your heart. Love creates an allegiance to the master. Okay? Love allows us to see the needs of others. Love for Christ will compel us to endure. And that's what we're to do. And then he says, for a helmet, the hope of salvation, the helmet protects what? The head. Now, when he says hope, he doesn't mean an iffy thing. We know that. What does hope mean? Glad expectation. The expectation, the glad expectation of salvation, folks. That's what will protect your head in these last days. That's what will protect your mind in these last days. The mind is the most vulnerable part of the body. Fear begins here. Doubt begins here, okay? You can't do anything. Your body can't do anything except that your mind tells it to. When my brain says to my arm, move up and down, it moves up and down. We've got to protect our minds in these last days and there's all kinds of error and strange thought out there. And if we ever needed to keep our minds focused on the Lord and the blessed hope that we have in Him, folks, it is today. Faith, hope, and love now abideth these three. And He says the greatest of these is charity or love. As long as we have faith in the Lord... And we love him and the brethren and look with expectation toward his coming and our full salvation. We can overcome the struggles that we face. Amen. Folks, Jesus is coming back. If you're unsaved, it's time to get right or get left. If you're saved, and you get busy faithfully serving him. Amen. Where are you going to stand? At the judgment seat of Christ? are at the great white throne judgment of God. Those who don't know Christ as Savior will stand at the great white throne judgment of God. I think Matthew chapter 7, beginning about verse 21, pictures it. When Jesus said that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we cast out demons in your name and and prophesied in your name. And in your name done many wonderful works. And what did Jesus say he'd say to them? Most horrible words I think you could hear. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. It would be horrible to hear that. And what would he say to a saved person who's unfaithful that stands before the judgment seat of Christ? They're, they're going to go to heaven. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give answer for our lives. 
And remember the parable that Jesus gave of the talents when the one just buried his in the dirt and then gave it back to his master? He said, thou wicked and slothful servant. There was no reward for him. In fact, what he had was taken from him and given to someone else. This is serious business. You know, I like to have fun and, you know, I like to joke during the announcements. It's sort of the commercial time. But when it comes to this thing of lost and saved or faithful and unfaithful, folks, it's time to get real serious. Amen. Because the day's short. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to play around. Jesus is coming back.